people who really track this stuff, podcasts absolutely murder television and radio. Howdy doody. Welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast presented by Hippo Direct. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur or innovator every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, digital marketing due to Hippo Direct, and you can reach me at max at hippodirect.com for help using your podcast as a marketing tool. This is episode number 83, and today's guest is Jordan Harbinger. He is the award-winning host of The Jordan Harbinger Show, named Best of 2018 by Apple. He previously served as host for 11 years of The Art of Charm, consistently named as one of the best podcasts in the world. He's interviewed over a thousand of the most brilliant people you'll ever hear from, including Seth Godin, Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk, Larry King, and even the late Kobe Bryant. In this interview, Jordan opens up on his crazy backstory, how he's been able to grow his top podcasts, and what you can do to connect with big guests yourself, as well as reconnect with those you've lost touch with. Buckle up for Jordan. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with Jordan Harbinger, the man who has interviewed more cool and interesting people than Bruce Almighty. How are you doing today, Jordan? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Thank you for making the time. We're going to be, it's going to be a little, a bit of rapid fire today. And uh, so we're just going to challenge you here, but I am going to start you off with the same question I ask all of my guests, which is how the hell did you get kidnapped twice? I have an affinity for a kidnap. Now, um, what happened <laughs> was uh, back in the day, like 20 years ago, I moved to Mexico and I was broken 20 years old. So I lived in basically the hood and it was like, I found the place through a friend of a friend of a friend and they're like, Oh yeah, my parents live in this neighborhood like i wouldn't hang out outside at night but you can you know live here and you can sleep on our rooftop they had like a guest house but on the roof it's sort of hard to explain but it's literally okay. just what it sounds like and i was like cool. it. yeah it's like a separate house on the roof that you take a staircase to um from inside the house so it's like a it's a but it's outside the house it's sort of complicated whatever it's a house they probably built pretty much by hand like you know the the building codes in a what i assume was at one point an illegal settlement outside mexico city was mm, of course so i took a what ended up being a fake taxi which is a super common scam and was super common even back then honestly and people fall for it all the time especially foreigners and that guy probably lived in my neighborhood and was going downtown to scam people and was just like wow there's a gringo out here this is awesome so i got into a fake taxi and they they did actually kidnap me, but I escaped um, before he could, because it's pre, pre-mobile phone. So he was like, stay in the car. I'm going to go mm. ask for directions. And I was like, I'm definitely being kidnapped because I'd already been like, let me out. What's going on? Why the door's locked? Where are we going? All this stuff. And he was trying to be like, be cool, bro. And I was not cool. And it was again before <laughs> mobile phone. So he couldn't call his buddies or reinforcements or criminal to like come out to the car. But I also wasn't distracted on freaking Instagram and noticed that I was being taken somewhere that wasn't supposed to happen. Uh. And so, so that fortunately or unfortunately was the first time. And then the second time I got a, do you know what a Fulbright is? It's like a scholarship to study something overseas. 
Are yeah, is that like a scholarship to study something overseas? It Yeah, nailed it. So I had something <laughs> similar to that, which was very similar to what you had just said, actually. You're really a, you're a sharp cat. And <laughs> I, I think you've been taking notes vigorously. Yeah, and I, and I went to a country called Serbia, which I want to say is a great place, and I have a lot of cool friends there, and I had a great time there, except... Not again, not Siberia. It's part of the former Yugoslavia. So it's, it's Serbia slash at mm-hmm. the time it was Serbia Montenegro. And yeah. I was the people who paid for my fellowship. It wasn't an actual Fulbright. It was a, something else that was funded by the Department of Defense. And so the country was like, anybody who comes over here on this scholarship is just a spy for sure. So they had all these rules and restrictions on me. And I was like, these are all annoying. I'm not going to follow them because, you know, it's not American or whatever. I was probably like 23, 24. I was like, I'm not going to deal with that. These guys are idiots. And sure enough, I got away with it for months and months and months. And then the cops would like start knocking on doors and looking for me. And they're like, where's this guy? He's not. Yeah, I had to live where they said I could live. And I was like, not, no, no way. I'm going to live like where I want on my own. And you weren't allowed to, I wasn't allowed to live on my own. I had to be in a approved place where the police like knew where I was at all times, basically. And I was like, no, to hell with that. So they sent out their internal state security police, which are just like these messed up drunk idiots who were, they're like Bosnian militia soldiers that just decided they were going to be cops because they'd committed war crimes in Bosnia. And then like their house got burnt down by the you know Croatian militia or something horrible. Yeah. So they'd been through traumatizing experiences. I'm not trying to make light of that. They'd been tr- through traumatizing experiences, but they were like effed up and they shouldn't be given guns and badges, but that's how they kept them out of trouble with the law and hid them inside the country. So those guys found me, decided I was a spy and they're like, we're just going to beat it out of them. And then after a while they were like, this kid is just a stupid college student. He's like 24. What the hell? What are we doing? Like, this is so stupid. And I was like, I'm dying and I need water. And they're like, hold on, hold on. So they left and I was like, <laughs> I'm not that thirsty. And I bolted. So, uh, but they had screwed up one of my friends too by beating him real bad because he I was an idiot. He, he's like, you know who my dad is? Because his dad was a big deal in Italy and also was a Serbian mobster back in the day or a mob affiliated guy back in the day. And his name carried like very little weight. And they also just thought this guy's a punk because he was being a punk. And he's just name dropping random people. Yeah, and being like, you don't know what you're getting into, mate. And I was just like, guys, this is a mistake. And he's like, shut your face, you fat piece of crap. I'm going to tell my dad. And I was like, dude, you're going to get us killed. You're a moron. And he almost did get us killed. Yeah, so after that, I stopped hanging out with him. Let let me put it this way. This is a guy who had a knack for getting into trouble. I went over to his house once. Uh, This is probably before we got kidnapped. I don't remember now. I assume so, uh, because I did limit my time hanging out with him after that. This should have been my first warning, but it really wasn't his fault. I go to his building, and I'm like, hey, uh, I'm trying to get in the front door, and there's a ton, a ton of blood outside, just an absolute ton, and there's a lot of cardboard on it that is soaked in blood. Did somebody jump off the roof? Like, what's going on? He's like, no, no, the cops were here earlier. I'll just walk around it. So I walk around slash through this obvious crime scene. And everything is messed up. There's bullet holes everywhere. There's broken glass. And I'm like, what happened? And, and then he goes, oh, you're going to want to read the news, newspaper. So the next day I go grab the newspaper. Sure enough, they caught a massive arms dealer, like a cache of arms, rocket launchers, grenades, machine guns, all in the ground floor of this very small apartment Holy that shit. was in his same building. And he's like, yeah, and I knew the guy. And I should have been like, ding, don't hang out with this guy anymore. But I didn't. I was like, oh, yeah, that's weird. Your neighbor's an arms dealer. Wow, I shouldn't. But that was what you do when you're 23, 24. You don't go, wow, you're an idiot. And I'm also one of your friends. Maybe that's going to be my blood outside your building. 
Holy moly. Okay. Yeah. I, so I didn't really know where that door was going at the start and I'm not sure I know where it was going at the end, but that that's a little snippet of the life. I, I guess we'll say the life that you had as a early twenties year old and the crazy things you're exposed to. Yeah. So that, that, and- that's pretty out there. And it has an obvious nexus to wild growth of your business, right? I mean, the, the, mm. the, I probably don't even need Thank to explain you. You how that. that relates. It, it doesn't, we don't even need to explain how that relates because the connection is, of course, so clear to everyone listening. Yeah, that's actually what the show was named after. Mm-hmm. So in the name of terrible segues, after that, you got into, yeah, I know you did the law world for a while. And eventually you got to the radio and podcasting world. And so let's kind of pivot here to that podcast pivot here to that so you led art of charm for a decade over a decade uh, i know you did over 700 episodes there and then a few years back uh two two and a half years back at the time of this recording you really reinvented yourself with the jordan harbinger show and your previous show had tons of success i mean consistently in the top charts and an apple podcast and your new show in 2018 was named best of Apple from the podcast standpoint. So first of all, congrats on that. Thank you. And again, that is a, a hell of a pivot from uh, your, your upbringing before that. But <laughs> what advice do you have for more or less reinventing yourself and launching something that is just in a totally a different vein than something that where you kind of meet your mark before? Well, you know, to be really honest, it it wasn't like a plan, but I had been so sick of working with the people in my old business and I was so sick of the topic that I was just like, okay, I, I naturally pivoted because I follow my own interests. And that sounds revelatory, I'm sure. But um, a lot of people <laughs> who, yeah, hold on, let me get out a notepad. But a lot of people who do podcasts, <laughs> they will do things like, what's going to get the most search traffic for this? Or like, what's going to get the most... Uh, SEO, blah, blah, blah for that. Or like this other sort of metric, like what's trending up right now? Ooh, blockchain, AI on the blockchain, you know, like they're making things for that. So I don't recommend doing that and I don't do that. So now the Jordan Harbinger show has episodes that are like, what's going on in Hong Kong with the protests and why is that important if even if you don't live in China? Like why could that change the world? And then the one before that would be an interview with Muhammad Ali's daughter, who's also a boxer and like very much into personal growth. And then after that was somebody who teaches emotional agility, which is like really, really clever strategies for managing emotions, whether you're a leader or just somebody who wants to be highly effective. And she's like an international superstar. But then before that, I had a guy who goes undercover and busts counterfeiting rings, which all those, so all those fake handbags you see at markets in LA, for example, yeah. it's like one or two rungs up from the little old lady selling it to you is hardcore organized crime, like MS-13 drug cartel gangs that are Man. smuggling people and guns and drugs. And then like, oh yeah, here's counterfeiting as like a revenue stream. So you think, oh, I bought fake beats by Dre. It's like, you are supporting human trafficking potentially. And also, you know, that makeup you're putting on your face that says Kylie Jenner, but it's fake and it was half price, like may have rat feces in it or worse. Of course. I mean, who hasn't experienced that? And it's real. I mean, there's like, you know, fake cancer in a more nefarious sort of dark turn. There are, there's a huge industry of fake cancer drugs that are designed essentially to kill the user because they have no active ingredient in them. And nobody's going to do an investigation or an autopsy on somebody who dies of cancer that had cancer. 
So it's pretty gross. So I'll do shows about that kind of thing and expose it. And um, maybe that's one of the reasons I'm going to get, hopefully I'm not going to get kidnapped again. Uh, but you know, that's kind of the trouble I find myself getting into, but now I can do it from the safety of my home studio wearing, you know, merely a pair of boxers and a t-shirt. Well, I'm glad you at least have some articles of clothing on. Yeah. I'm just juicing it up for you, but yeah, let's assume (laughs) I'm wearing clothes right now. Uh, Appreciate uh, appreciate the imagery as well. So you clearly, there's no topic that you're scared to talk about and you can just feel your passion and, and natural curiosity in these things. And I think, I mean, you, you mentioned, if, alluded to a few of the episodes there and the amazing guests you've had, but like you've literally had some of the most famous, brilliant, interesting people out there on your show and they've covered such a wide, such a wide range of industries. What can you tell us about getting in contact with these big names that seemingly seem so far away, but in a way, everybody's accessible to a degree? Yeah, it, let me put it this way. Booking guests on a show is one of the hardest jobs. It's one of the hardest parts of doing the show. Unfortunately, it's also the least fun part of doing a show. And everyone's like, why don't you hire a guest booker? Here's the thing. I've got friends that are guest bookers for some of the best and most popular TV shows around, talk shows that you've heard of, maybe even have watched a bunch. And I'll hire them and they're like, yeah, booking, for this is what I do. I'm going to kill it. And then they realize, wow, people don't really know what podcasts are or like a publicist who works for a big star will say podcasts. Yeah. Nah. If I bring that to the meeting, they're going to be like, "Eh, what? No, where's Newsweek in time. And that's because the legacy media has a better rep, but you and I probably, I know this from data and you probably also know this anecdotally or possibly from your own data. People who really track this stuff, podcasts absolutely murder television and radio. They just not, not in terms of like reach, but if you go and you do a podcast and you reach, or 10 podcasts, and let's say you reach a million people on those 10 shows, each show is 100,000, you're gonna sell a crap ton more books than if you go on Ellen for 10 minutes. In fact, you're gonna sell more books on a show that has 100,000 listeners than you are if you go on Ellen. Because it's targeted, people are paying attention, they're not just like passively watching you on mute at the gym on the treadmill which is where a lot of daytime TV con- consumption happens. Now, let's if you're offering like some bullcrap health solution that's like the South Beach diet, yeah, you're going to do well on a show where people believe everything they hear from a celebrity. But if you have anything even remotely intelligent to discuss or talk about or sell, podcasts are the way to go. They just are. Yeah, and a note to self to uh, save the South Beach diet portion for the next episode. But of Ellen, it, yeah. It's... <laughs> It really is incredible. I mean, I, I don't think there's been a medium like this that is such an intimate connection between the listener and, and whoever's creating, putting the content out there. And you are so good at getting the most interesting things out of your guests. How do you unleash that natural curiosity and keep the interviews interesting as opposed to getting repetitive over time? Because you just have interviewed so many, so many people and it's obviously so time consuming. There's got to be an art to it. Yeah, there is. First of all, you have to, I mentioned this before, but I think it's even more important now. You have to follow your own interests. So if, I know you've got a wild business growth podcast, but a lot of people in your position might be like, and let's say you have the crush your Instagram growth podcast. You're talking about Instagram growth constantly. That's great if you're interested in that and you're super passionate about that. But let's imagine that after two years, it's like, uh, okay, pretty much said kind of everything I need to say about this. 
you have to be able to pivot. And so I, I strongly recommend when people are thinking of branding, they don't name their show something like grow your, your Insta dot com podcast like that's maybe something <laughs> that's going to wear on you dot co dot uk right so you got to be really careful with that and a lot of people make that mistake and i've made that mistake in the past with other businesses you have to be really careful with that so for me again i follow my interests. so if i'm interviewing a guy who found a lost city in the jungle which literally is episode 299 then that's super interesting but then after that i'm interviewing somebody who escaped from a cult so I don't have, my niche is, hey, look, if you want really good interviews with people that are really interesting and hard to get and hard to, hard to beat, that are really, really in-depth and well-prepared because I spend 10, 20 hours prepping for each guest, then you want to go to the Jordan Harbinger show because that's where you find that. And you're going to find me there. And if you like my interview technique, you're going to enjoy that. And then, of course, every episode has sort of practical things that you can apply, even if it's a little bit tangential, like you know, it's tough to get practicals out of somebody who discovered a lost city in the jungle that you can apply when you live in Ohio. But, but I will well, you, get well, you don't know until you, it. yeah, you, you would be surprised about Ohio. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. And, and also you'd be surprised because of course the guy was like, look, I had to do crazy networking connections and sales tactics to, to convince people I wasn't just a crazy person. I'm like, Oh, what were some right. of those? And he's like, Oh, here we go. So that's very practical. Even if you're not trying to find lost cities in the jungle. So <laughs> This to me is extremely fun. I get all the diversity of thought that I want and I don't ever feel like I'm pigeonholed into something that's not going to make sense for me or for the listening audience. And that is crucial. That's extremely, extremely important. Uh, otherwise, you will get bored of doing it. And I, I talk to a lot of YouTube personalities and things like that. And they'll do, I don't want to mention them because I don't want to, you know, that I didn't ask for permission, but I talked to people with like millions of subscribers. You know, we're talking between one, two, three, four, even more million subscribers on their YouTube. And they'll call me and they're like, or we'll meet somewhere and like, hey, we would love to have you help us get into podcasting. And I'm like, let me save you some trouble. You got 4 million YouTube subscribers. Why do you want to get into podcasting? It's a lot of work. You know, you're, you're going to add income to your business, but it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to be hard to stand out. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're not just trying to add a revenue stream to our existing business. Sure, that's part of it. But we're so sick of making the same video every week every, for years on end because if, you're, if you've got a YouTube channel and you've got your magic formula that's netted you 4 million subscribers, you have to do the same thing that your audience expects from you. And you have to keep doing it. And you have two minutes to do it because that's the attention span or three minutes, whatever. That's the attention span on YouTube. I can go all right, this is kind of experimental. Let's talk about the Hong Kong protests for an hour and a half. And my audience is like, right. great, this is awesome. Where do, I, where do I sign? I really like this. Hey, I didn't think I would like this. Turns out I loved it. I can do that. If those guys experiment and something goes wrong, then they fall out of favor with the algorithm and their business basically disintegrates. And I've, I read articles online on the Wall Street Journal where a bunch of top YouTubers are taking a break and it made news because these guys hadn't taken a break for like six years. And I'm like, how was how that possible? Jeez. And the, the rationale is if you don't post regularly, you, you, the algorithm deprioritizes you and therefore your discovery goes down, but also the plays on everything else goes down. So your income can just basically implode if you miss one or two weeks. And I'm like, well, produce stuff in advance and get ahead. And it's like, you don't understand. This is a ton of work. You know, each one of these is a massive, massive amount of work. They're spending the same amount of time producing a two or three minute video 
and trying to catch all the right keywords and tags as I'm spending preparing three hours of content each week, yeah. which is bonkers to me. Exactly. Absolutely bonkers. I, I, by the way, the word bonkers is totally underused. So thank you for I bringing agree. that back. I agree. Yeah. yeah. This is why we're here. But to your point, I think obviously a ton of work goes into it and, and you've demonstrated how much, how impactful the prep is for your interviews, but you also need to have fun too. And so it's so key that you need to have something that is fun and appealing to you and that you're going to be continually interested about as to something that you're just going to get bored to death of. Mm-hmm. Imagine you started your own podcast. You're growing your brand, sharing your expertise, maybe even your terrible puns, and meeting fascinating people. That is awesome. Now, imagine all the hours you've lost every week due to the podcast's demands. Not so awesome. I am your podcast producer. Email me at max at hippodirect.com. So let's get to a fan favorite segment called the Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. The Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. Okay. Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. This is where we talk about a recent brand or, or campaign that caught our attention. And speaking of fun and cool and bonkers, there was a fun and cool and bonkers product that involves a smartphone case that you were mentioning earlier. You want to walk us through what that is? Yeah, so this iPhone case, it's called the Pila case, P-E-L-A, in case people want to go check it out. But these are iPhone cases and screen protectors for Apple watches and Apple phones that are biodegradable. So I didn't even think about this, but the case that's made on those silicone cases and stuff like that that are on the outside of phones, those things take like a thousand years to, to degrade in the landfill, if not longer. Because uh, they're made well and they're thick and they protect from bounces and stuff. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Even the phone I'm recycling after maybe if, if you keep your phone a long time, three years, four years, right? And most people are upgrading every other year, every year. So you have to throw that case away. It's no longer good. Sometimes they look almost new, even by the time I'm like, oh, I guess I'm done with this. And the phone gets recycled. The case doesn't. So my friend was like, you know, all this stuff just ends up in the ocean. We need to figure out a way to make it degradable. So they make these biodegradable phone cases. You can literally, if you wanted to, bury them in your backyard and they would biodegrade over a reasonable period of time. And you can send them to him. If so Let's say you don't have a backyard. You live in New York. You can send them <laughs> back to the company and they will biodegrade this case. They will compost it. It's compostable. That's what I was looking for. And they're working, they're working on, um, I can't remember the exact term for this, but like C degradable sea ocean compostable it's not quite the right term but you know what i mean like things that if they do land in the ocean they don't last 300 years in the ocean they last maybe a couple of weeks because they degrade they don't you wouldn't want something that degrades too quickly because your phone's going to get wet and you don't want your case to, to melt but you can they're working on something you could throw in the ocean by accident hopefully that doesn't stay in the ocean until your great great grandchildren are like driving around in flying cars you're talking about the Jetsons, right? Uh, yeah, or just whoever, or us. I mean, it could happen. It's coming. Yeah, it's been coming yeah. for for a long time. Yeah, it, it has. That's what she said. And sounds like a very very cool product, and it's very disruptive. I mean, from from what you know about it, how are they approaching this massive market of smartphone cases, iPhone cases? Because it's, I mean, I can't imagine it's the easiest thing in the world to disrupt Apple. 
Yeah, well, Apple only sells a small percentage of cases, actually. I mean, I don't know if it's a small percentage. They don't sell 100% of the case market, and they don't sell, like, they sell all the phones, but they don't sell the same percentage of cases for the phones, is what I meant to say. Right, so right. So you can grab market share in the case. And also, they're not really saying, our cases are better, our cases are cheaper, look, you get a cooler design, like, none of that. They're saying, look, you're basically an a-hole if you buy a case that doesn't biodegrade. So go ahead and go to the Apple <laughs> store, but you're a bad person. Because here you are on Twitter being all, hey, look, oh, the environment, global warming, global warming. And it's like, well, cool, but um, yeah. So the problem is you're just throwing this in the ocean, whether you want to or not. You're, it's in a landfill in freaking Malaysia. That is not good at all. And what you have from, from Pila is moral, not moral licensing, but you have a, a better way to say, look, this is something that if you are somebody who cares about this, put your money where your mouth is and buy something that's not awful. And that's what they're doing. The anti-asshole approach, I will call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The AAA, the A3. The triple. <laughs> I like it, scuttering to it. All right, so let's wrap up with some rapid fire Q&A. You ready for it? Ready. All right, let's get wild. Not that you haven't shared any wild stories so far. So hobbies are inherently creative. What would you say is your number one most favorite, favoritest hobby? My number one most favoritest hobby? I study Mandarin and Chinese. I'm not sure how wild that is, but yeah. maybe it is. I'll give it to you. All right. How, how many years have you been doing that, by the way? Seven years. Congrats yeah. on that. I would congratulate you. you in Mandarin, but my uh, Mandarin is limited. That's <laughs> okay. Who? This is the slowest rapid fire I've ever been through, by the way. Just thought <laughs> I'd throw that out there. I'm actually pretty, my rapid fire is not known for being the most rapid. I'm it's just, like a musket that they're like, hey, this thing is rapid fire. It's like, no, it's a musket. Yeah, well, you should have seen when those things came off the press how impressive they were. I bet. Anyway, speaking of rapid fire and guests, out of all the guests you've interviewed, who has caught you by surprise the most and just totally blew you away? Howie Mandel caught me by surprise because I kind of expected him to be wild and zany the whole time and be kind of ridiculous <laughs> the whole time. And, you know, and he was, and he was super fun and funny, but he was really down to like get serious, talk about mental health, talk about the things that he's done in the past uh, that have formed his career that were maybe not so glowing and I don't know, shiny and, and painted him in a great light, you know? Um, yeah. And that, that's really cool. And he also was, not trying to sugarcoat the past. You know, a lot of these like guru types, not that he's one of those, but a lot of these sort of online influencer types, they'll be like, and then I got in a car crash and I was like, have I really loved? Have I really lived? And it's like, bro, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. You did not say that. You were like, oh, my head hurts. You know, you didn't, you didn't have this right. passionate speech. You're just trying to sell us your e-course. Howie was more like, man, you know, I was just this depressed mess and I thought, I liked comedy and I bet I could do it. It looked really easy and then I totally bombed and then I, but I really liked it. So I tried it again and then I realized I have to work hard for this and then, you know, da, da, da. So that was his career path and he was really open about it. And he kind of looks back on it and he's not romanticizing the whole thing and stuff like that. So I thought, this is so interesting. It makes total sense to discuss things like this, but a lot of people are afraid to do it. So his vulnerability that was a, like real vulnerability was pretty admirable, honestly. Oh, that's awesome. That's such a powerful quality. 
what is a quirk you have? So maybe it's something your wife or, or baby, I'm sure your baby calls you out on a lot of things now, uh, calls you out for that's a little bit quirky about your personality, but it's just, it's just who you are. Like you're not going to change. Uh, there's tons of stuff like that. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> We're limit you to one. yeah, I, I, I think one thing that happened today was I kind of have a short fuse. It's not like I don't like explode into rage or anything like that, but <laughs> I get really impatient with people. And, and I think it's because I'm impatient with myself, you know, and, and that sucks. And I've tried to work on it. And there's a lot of like, oh, self-compassion and self-care. But I'm like, uh, a lot of the reason that I have that is also the reason that I'm successful in what I do. So I'm not in a massive hurry to change it because it's just not it'll either happen naturally and I'll deal with it that way, but I'm not going to be all like, Oh, you know, I've decided that everything happens for a reason and, you know, just let the flow of the universe. No, no, that sounds like you actually. Yeah. Right. So my personality is not like that. And to try to change that, I think would do, it would suck. It would be annoying for the show. It'd be annoying for the business. I don't want to slow down, but also that's kind of like, where's my damn coffee mug? What the hell? <laughs> Where did I, Oh, I, Oh, right. I left it in. Yeah. I left it in the garage. That, uh, that was me. Yep. Uh, uh, sorry, everybody. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. No, uh, I'm an, I'm an a-hole. Bye. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's kind of how that works. So I was just like, eh, it happens a lot actually, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. You got to let it out sometimes. Uh, what is the craziest idea you've ever had? Oh, I mean, it's definitely doing the Jordan Harbinger show because when I was in a basement talking with my friends, drinking in law school about body language and networking and how it was going to help us become better attorneys and generate business for the firm, I was like, I need to upload these MP3s to the internet. And my friend was like, that's just not even possible. And another person was like, actually, podcasting, this brand new technology allows you to put MP3 sound files online and people can download them and play them on their uh, computers because there were no smartphones or no iPhones anyway back then. And I was like, no way. So I tried it out and here we are, not a lawyer anymore. That was 13 years ago. That's a hell of an idea. Well, it mm -hmm. seems like seems like it's worked okay for you. And, and thank you for the fabulous segue as well. Thank you so much, Jordan, for coming on the show and sharing your stories and your tips for how you've grown your, your brand and screamed about your coffee and all that. So thank you for coming on. And uh, where is the best place for people to find the Jordan Harbinger show and uh, connect with you any other way you prefer? Sure. Podcast, The Jordan Harbinger Show on any podcast player, obviously. And, you know, I am all over social at Jordan Harbinger on Twitter, Instagram. I love hearing from people. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, last thing here. Final thoughts. Stage is yours. It could be a quote. It could be a, you know, another kidnapping story, whatever you want. Send us off here. You know, uh, a lot of people, let's see here. You know what? Here's something. I'll give people a practical thing. Tomorrow and for the rest of the week, depending on when you listen to this, open up your phone, go to the bottom of your text messages. And those are all those old threads where people are, where they're like, you haven't talked to them in four years because you had lunch with them once and you never kept in touch. Text four or five of those people and use their name so they know it's not a mass text. Use your name so they know who the hell you are if they didn't save your number. Tell them you did a bad job of keeping in touch and you're curious what they're up to now and give them a tiny little update about what you're up to just in like a four or five line text. You'll be so surprised at the kind of re-engagement you get from people. And it's amazing because I do that every day with four people. I call it Connect Four. And you know, half don't reply, but the other half that do, after a few months, you start seeing opportunities fall in your lap. People will be like, hey, do you do keynote speeches? I'm going into a sales meeting and you know, you're top of mind since we talked last month. 
And you'll get a speaking gig, you'll get a client, you'll end up meeting somebody who lives near you now that you didn't realize lived near you. It's amazing. It'll change your whole life if you do it consistently. That is awesome. Thank you so much, Jordan. I have to go text my mom and uh, do it. circle back soon. All right, buddy. I text my mom every day. Don't be silly. Thank you, Jordan, for sharing your crazy, crazy story and crazy, crazy wisdom. And thank you, Wild listeners, for tuning in to another episode. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also splash around in some marketing and business growth resources at hippodirect.com slash blog and hippodirect.com slash newsletter. That newsletter is the Hippo Digest and it's your place for wild marketing ideas every single week. And of course, if your social media senses are tingling, come connect and say hey or whatever you feel like orating on your favorite social media channels at the handles Hippo Direct and Max Brandstetter. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! Bongos!